In May the 4th, 2014, uh, lecture discussion number 154 on the book of Romans. And because tomorrow is what? Yes, it is. Tomorrow is the 61st, uh, 61st is Cinco de Stevo. And because of that, a lot of you came today. A lot of you came today. It's 72 degrees for you guys on the internet right here on, on, uh, on this Sunday. But, uh, a lot of people, <laughs> I say that kiddingly. Many came. That's better. Some came expecting a special Cinco de Stevo themed lecture. And of course, why wouldn't you? Uh, it's a, it's now almost a, it's a universal uh, celebration on this side, uh, North and South America. It amazes me. It's extraordinary in scope, you have to admit. Uh, every year I'm stunned by the size of the crowds, and, and I don't even know these people. They pour into the streets, and they have trumpets. So clearly, clearly they have connected that to me now, and, and that's amazing. Um, joyously they are proclaiming Cinco de Stevo, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm humbled by all of this. I find it. Uh, 61 years ago, I was born on... Cinco de Stevo, May the 5th. And today, uh, millions now set it aside. Uh, it's incomprehensible. It's kind of like a feast day. I, and I, I lack the words to explain this phenomenon or even express what it means. And naturally, I get the usual deluge of cards from all over the world, letters Probably going to get thousands. So far, I've gotten one. <laughs> uh, ran from Illinois. Yes, actually a letter. For those of you who think I only get emails, no, no. Um, he says, uh, well, it's, he's, I'll just read what he says. Um, Be sure to season uh, with Worcestershire sauce. Uh, wishing you a a happy Cinco de Stevo uh, blessings, Rand from Illinois, and uh, Rand of course understands that Worcestershire sauce is a uh, is a medicinal advantage, and it solves all kinds of uh, issues uh, for you medicinally. Uh, I especially like it on ice cream. Uh, I think that's the best. Ad- yes, sir. Yeah, I will not I will not repeat that for Rand in Illinois. Uh, um, so that he doesn't take it personal. But I, I, actually, it's not really Cinco de Stevo today, is it? No, it's Cinco de Stevo Eve, which is, uh, and I'm certain that that's why the United States Postal Service uh, hasn't shown up at my house with a dump truck, 10-yard dump, and thousands of letters and cards that I get every year, the, and gifts, too. Uh, but uh, I'm sure they're minimizing their co- their costs by na- making one trip, and we can count on the government, right, to minimize their cost. I'm sure that's what's happening. But for those of you who exchange gifts with others as well out there on the Internet world on this uh, Cinco de Stevo, it's acceptable to do it on Cinco de Stevo Eve, though the overwhelming majority chooses to wait until Cinco de Stevo itself, finding the traditional day to be more meaningful and special, and uh, so the smallest gifts are usually given on Cinco de Stevo Eve, and then the large uh, gifts are, of course, tomorrow. And uh, so those of you who are wondering if that was acceptable, it is. I, I, and I already get way, by the way, i got to quit this while I'm behind. I already get way too many people who ask me if this Cinco de Stevo thing is real. They do. Is this real? I've been doing it for over... Oh, my goodness, 55 years. I decided it was a good idea when I was in kindergarten or first grade. And uh, now that I have this platform, I found it fascinating. Is this real, they ask me, and so I have to respond to them. I say, yes. <laughs> yes, it's real. <laughs> and some ask uh, if, uh, if Stevo of Cinco de Stevo is an overweight old man with gray hair and a red suit. And I tell them, I don't have a red suit, but I, I'm finding the idea appealing, I have to admit. So anyway, where are we today? We're at Romans 9, and we're still wrestling with Jacob and Esau, which is a pile, absolute pile. So what I, I tell you to do today is I'm going to make the list 
as I've often done, especially in the past. Estelle and Dave earlier, I looked up, I've done this lecture uh, maybe two times previously, and I don't like to repeat myself, and I, I write this one, and I thought, well, I'll look at the one I did 15 years ago and see how similar they are. It'll fascinate me what I've changed, because I want to change it. I don't want it to repeat it. Uh, and most of the time, 15 years ago, I left things out that I thought were complicated. Um, didn't want to challenge. The people were mostly brand new uh, to my style, and I didn't want uh, to overwhelm them. Now I don't care about that at all. And so it's a little bit different, but it surprised me how much of it was the same. Things that I thought I wouldn't have said to them, I did. So that was kind of fascinating. But anyway, uh, I noticed I also did the list, but the list was significantly different. So I at least changed the list. Yeah, follow along if you can. Just go to Genesis 25. Um, and it's a really good idea to see 21 through 34. It's a good idea to see how these, these lists that I do come into existence, if you will. I just go down through almost every time when I study a passage, I make a list. I look at each and every word, how it's where it is in the order, the order becomes so important. So here's the list. I don't have time to read Genesis 25, 21 through 34 this week. I did it last week. But here pretty much is the list. I have a barren Rebecca. Remember, I did the list of the barren women, the miraculous births. I have a barren Rebecca. And then I have the please, if you will, or Isaac his prayer or his plea to God, he pleads that God would um, would allow Rebecca to have children, and Rebecca is ends up with the struggling. Oops, I made a B. Rebecca has struggling. Some Bibles will say contending. Twins. She's going to have twins, and she notices immediately. She's happy that she's no longer barren, that God has responded. But then she goes, why is this turmoil inside of me? And God tells her that uh, she was going to have struggling, contending twin sons. His direct answer is actually like this. So I have God himself. Let me put that more correctly, because I don't always do that, right? God answers her directly, as clear as he possibly can. And he tells her something very important. He says, the elder shall serve, and I'm not in order here, the elder shall serve the younger. There's two nations inside of her, two nations, two peoples. So now that we, we know these twin boys, or in this case twin boys, are, are going to become nations. So whenever you read about Esau or Jacob, you have to know these three things. They could be talking about them individually, the, the passages. It could be talking about them as, a, as nations, or it could be talking about both, if you will. A, a double fulfillment, I know that frustrates Dr. Fruchtenbach. But it's possible. One of the peoples will be stronger than the other. One, it doesn't say necessarily peoples. One will be stronger. So I have to ask myself, are I talking about nations or am I talking about individuals? So I have this three phase or this triad direct response by God. Three aspects to it. And the first uh, son came out red and hairy. And his name, Esau. Therefore, if you will. First son came out red, hairy. Therefore, Esau. Esau meaning hairy. Or now it actually uh, could even be interpreted red, hairy, or hairy, red. And the second took hold of the heel of the first one. Therefore, his name is Jacob, which means what? Heel holder. Okay? So I have red hairy, and I have heel holder. What are you noticing so far? One will be red hairy, the other one will be heel holder. 
That's their names. Whenever you see the name Jacob in Scripture, translate it in your mind, heel holder. Whenever you see Esau, think Harry Red. Red Harry or whatever. F, I'll put it down here because I need the space. I can see that already. Jacob, it's told to us, is 60 years old. I have a feeling that he did not look like me. His aging process was much slower than mine. Next, we go on to learn that Esau is cunning. He's a cunning hunter. And only Esau and Nimrod are described this way. They're the only two in all of Scripture of whom it is said they are cunning hunters. Okay? Jacob is described not as a cunning hunter, but as a, uh, and, and I'll make, I'll get, I'll get further on this today, he's described, most of your Bibles will say mild, that's not correct at all, some of them will say um, perfect, uh, I think complete is acceptable, but I'm going to expand on that today, what else I think it means. But again, look what you've got. One is red hairy, one is a heel holder. One is a cunning hunter, like Nimrod, the other is a complete man, if you will. Uh, We'll get into that again, as I said, here in a minute. I, Isaac, oh, let me put it this way. Uh, Esau is in the field, Jacob is in a tent. So, what are you seeing? Seeing this contrast developing. So far they have what in common? Not much. They're completely different. Almost what? Almost opposites. They're born of the same parents, but one is hairy red, the other is a heel holder, one is in the field and is, is a is a killer. Because When you begin to evaluate this description uh, and this other person so described, the only two in all of the Bible described like this, Nimrod and Esau, you get a different picture of what they're doing. Isaac, it says, if you're following along, I hope you are, loved Esau. Rebecca, Loved Isaac. I'm sorry, uh, Jacob. Again, the same pattern. I just want to keep pounding in the pattern. This difference. Not describing them as having anything in common at all. Okay, H-I-J-K. Jacob cooks a stew or a soup. Esau, and the King James gets this beautiful, says it perfectly as you would expect. Esau was faint. Some Bibles will say weary, but faint. Esau said, So I'm just going to put, he said, pretty soon I'll just put yes. He said, feed me. Jacob said, sell me. See that? Feed me, please, with that red, for I faint. In other words, he's about to lose consciousness. That makes sense as we go on with the story. Jacob said, before you lose consciousness, sell me your birthright. So that contrast is now on the board, right? Esau said, this is, I think, 
significant. Why do I? King James. How many got a King James here? What's the first word? Read it. Got to read it right. Behold. Absolutely right. Behold. Wow. Now I know the next thing that's coming is going to be amazing. Absolutely critical. Amazing information. Got to hit, got to get, got to get it. Feed me. Sell me. Behold. Behold, I am at the point of death. Behold, point of death, what is this birthright to me? Why should I care about it? Jacob said, swear an oath. Now, to them, this conversation made perfect sense. Just like if you had a conversation with somebody that you knew really well, you would speak in almost a code. Somebody heard you, they might not think you were making any sense. Esau said, feed me, I'm about to collapse. Sell me your birthright. Behold, I'm going to die. Swear me an oath. What's the implication? I had to get this done before what? Before you die. What's this birthright to me? Why should I even care about this? Why are you doing this? So then it goes. I'll find a place for it now here in the middle. Q. Well, I guess I can get a Q down here, can Esau swears the oath. Esau swears. Oath sells, sells the birthright. That's very mysterious. Go down here. R. Next word is then, Jacob. Then Jacob gives him bread. Soup. And then what does it say next? Read the first word. Therefore. So it's almost a geometry proof. Here's my information. All of this. One's a hunter in the field. The other is a man in a tent. Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. Jacob is cooking stew and soup. Esau is in trouble. Esau says, feed me. Jacob says, sell me. Esau says, behold, I'm on the verge of death. Jacob says, give me an oath. Esau swears the oath. Jacob that gives him soup. And therefore, we have now just proven with all of that information, what? We've now just proven that Esau despises, hates his birthright. And that, I hope, causes you to go... Really? And then the last thing is, as I brought this up last week, this is an Abimelech sandwich. You remember? That she is my sister, Abimelech. She is my sister. Abraham in Genesis 20 and Isaac in Genesis 26 both say the same thing to the king of the Philistines, or if you will, the Palestinians. Remember, the Romans, when they tore Israel to pieces in 70 AD, renamed the nation of Israel Palestine, because that's essentially a Roman word for Philistine. So, both Abraham and Isaac tell the king of the Philistines, uh, Abraham says, Sarah is my sister, Isaac says, Rebecca is my sister, and I believe that that is critical information. Um, 
crucial information in order to solve Genesis 21 or 25, 21 through 34, but especially 29 through 34, this uh, selling of the birthright mystery with the soup and all of that. What does all that mean? And and by the way, the selling of the soup birthright or selling of the birthright for soup thing seems completely connected to what came before it. Why do I even have this? What is going on here? And and it also seems to be um, unconnected from the subsequent passages, which is the uh, she is my sister Abimelech with Isaac and Rebecca. And so people take it out of context trying to solve it. And that's where they make their mistake because it is connected. It's connected to the two nations and the elder and the stronger. It's connected to the struggling twins. It's connected to the barren Rebecca and the Isaac that pleads for that to change. It's connected to the hairy red and the heel holder and the fact that Isaac is 60. And it's also connected to Abimelech doing what he does when uh, Isaac lies to him about Rebekah. It is the bridge. This is the, the soup is the bridge between uh, the barren Rebekah and the she is my sister Abimelech passages. That's how you get from barren Rebekah and she is my sister. And I, I hope I said that last week. I'm saying it again this week, just in case it wasn't very clear. I also proposed last week the behold, I am at the point of death. That is how you figure this out, understanding what Esau is saying, as well as the one will be stronger than the other. One of the three elements of God's statement to Rebecca. What does that mean, by the way? One is stronger than... Why is that detail even there? And, and why did Rebecca love Jacob? And, by, and does this mean that she didn't love Esau? It doesn't mean that. And that pretty well sums up where we were last week, uh, just in a little bit different way. Reworking the same math problem in a different way. So now we're going to take another run through it, the second run through the list. And it should be obvious uh, that this Genesis 25, uh, uh, 21 through 28, for sure, is establishing the contrast between the two. Let me repeat that. One is Red Harry. The other is a heel holder. One is a hunter that is a killing machine. The other is dwelling in a tent. One is dwelling in the field. The other is dwelling in the tent. And is this complete man thing. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Contrast. Je Jacob cooks stew and soup. Esau is about to faint. Esau says, feed me. Uh, Jacob responds, sell me, which absolutely the appropriate thing to respond to feed me. Uh, Esau says, behold, I'm about to die. Jacob says, swear an oath. If you're about to die, swear an oath. And Esau swears the oath, sells the birthright. Jacob gives bread and soup. Therefore, Esau hates his birthright. And then the Abimelech, she is my sister. So this side-by-side -side comparison contrast is going on. I hope that's obvious. And that's what Genesis is doing, is establishing that in context. Esau is on one side, Jacob is on the other. Let's just say this. If, if Esau is hairy red, what does Jacob look like? Probably. Probably not. Hairy red. One's hairy red, one's not. You don't have identical twins here. And here's the key word. Let me put this word on the... This is where it fits in. The word is tam. Jacob is tam, the Hebrew word tam. Are you familiar with that? You're probably familiar with the Hebrew word tamen. Because who was tamen in the Bible? No. Noah. Absolutely right. Noah is tamen. So Jacob and Noah both share the same description. Tamin is the word from which we get contaminated. And in this case, it means that Noah was not contaminated. And therefore, Jacob is not contaminated. It's also translated as complete. Some would put righteous in there, some would put perfect, but it is in the context of Genesis 6, where I have the sons of God and the daughters of men, right? So, 
If Esau is red and hairy, Jacob was not red and hairy. If Jacob is not contaminated, then Esau is contaminated. Esau is a powerful, massive killing machine. I'm going to put massive in there. I think the man was huge. The only one that equals him in all of the Bible that's described is Nimrod, and I know what Nimrod is. So obviously, if a fight breaks out, I said this last week, which one is the stronger? Who's going to win the fight? Most people would immediately say, if they saw these two side by side, that one is stronger than the other is referring to Esau being able to lift Jacob up by the ankle and throw him around the room like a rag doll. So they would say, yeah, Esau is stronger than Jacob. And that was my point. Esau could have easily killed Jacob for the soup, but he doesn't. He negotiates with him. What's up with that? Why doesn't he just walk in and take the soup, the beans, the bread, eat it himself and say, shut up? Because he goes that way later. Don't have any problem hunting him down after this. And by the way, he's a really good hunter. Did he catch Jacob? Jacob is not dumb. This is a fair fight. Now, why didn't he make his own soup? He could have walked in, said, hey, I'm going to make me some soup. And you're going to say hi. This is no different than lunch money, recess time in the public school system. Some kids lose their, their lunch money Every recess. And they have to figure out strategies. How do I know that? Well, you know, you start out at the bottom. I was at Bartlett High School back in the 70s. It was Bartlett Beggage. They had this great idea. We're going to combine the high school with the junior high. So, I, oh yeah, Dave was there. We had senior boys, 200-pound kids, walking the halls with 7th graders that didn't weigh 65 pounds. That's what happened. It was a war zone. My job was rat patrol, was to stop that from happening. And it was, it was unbelievable. I learned a lot. From Bartlett High School. I learned to put plywood over the sheetrock because they tore the plywood or the sheetrock right off the hallways. There wasn't a hallway that didn't have the edge. I mean, we ended up putting inch and an eighth plywood on to stop them from busting it. It was a wild place. And I, I would like to think I contributed to, contributed to its uh, taming, if you will. Huh? Well, like I said, my job was to walk those hallways and stop as much as I could. I was basically a volunteer hall monitor in a war zone. I had some very good men with me. I was, I was not in charge of all of that. There were some wonderful men there that were great, great. Pardon me? I, I didn't know him. I can't say that, but uh, I knew the PE department primarily. Uh, and they were they took that on and eventually they realized we cannot put this powerful of a young man with this weak of a young man that won't work and they changed it and now there is a they, they set they had diamond mirrors a service a hand shoe they had um, barlet baggage none of that worked there's a gummit it worked right there anybody with a brain would know that's not going to happen okay how do I get off on that but Jacob was not attacked for the soup. So I asked the question, what keeps Esau from taking the soup? Is he, a, is he a nice guy? We'll read on here in a minute, find out how nice he is. Why doesn't he just take the food? Why does he even go there? Does he know there's going to be food there? What's, what's happened to him? Here's the question I always ask here. 
Is he severely wounded? If so, who took him down? What's he been in? What's he got with him? Jacob knew something, by the way. He knew that there is no way that Esau was going to die. But Esau thought he was going to die. That tells you a lot. Esau should have known, I am not going to die. But he didn't know that. Jacob knew he wasn't going to die. He was certain of it. And so he says, feed me, sell me. I'm about to die. Give me an oath. And Esau says, well, since I'm about to die, what does his birthright mean to me? So again, one will be stronger than the other. What does that mean to God? No, not what does that mean to you or me or our culture, but what does stronger mean to God? And, and, and so that's important. What is strong as God defines it? And to repeat from last week, the motive of Jacob is critical also. You have to say to yourself, why is he doing what he's doing? What is his motive? What does 99% of everybody say is the motive of Jacob here? Oh, a hundred percent. Find me one other than me that will tell you this other. What does everyone say? Every preacher, every commentator, every... What do they say? Jacob is trying to steal from Esau. He's a deceiver. That's not true. Doesn't fit the text. And again, nowhere in the Bible does God ever condemn Jacob or Rebecca. They're honored. So what is their motive? Is it good or is it bad? I'm telling you, it's good. I'll prove it. I'm also going to say you the motive of Jacob and the motive of Rebekah is the same motive. They're both trying to do the same thing. They have a meeting of the mind, sameness, if you will. And the reason they have it is because Rebekah studied the elder two nations stronger. Elder will serve the younger. Elder serves. There's two nations inside you. The elder will serve the younger. One is stronger. She read that. And she read it to Jacob. By the way, I'm pretty confident that everybody in the group knew about that. That's amazing. Let's just think about, we don't have uh, very many here, but let's just to say right now we hear God himself say to us three things. What would we do with that information? Ninety percent of the people today would put it on Facebook, which would be the biggest waste I could think of. But imagine this is an isolated community. They they cherish this. This isn't Rebecca is one of the barren women. And Isaac prays or pleads, and then all of a sudden she has twins that are struggling. And God, and she goes to God and he answers her directly. Bang! That's amazing. Did she write it down? Did she memorize it? Did she tell her sons? I have a mother here with twins. If you got this, what would you do with it? You would tell them. You'd tell everybody. Everybody, I think, knew this. I'm positive that Jacob knew it. Rebecca and Jacob poured over this to try to understand it. Two nations, one stronger, older shall serve the younger. And they believed that it was true because who told her? God told her. So obviously it's true. And they understood that uh, they believed God they, and they understood what he meant by it. And most did not understand what he meant by it. And most do not understand today what he meant by it. Those are three components of a whole, as he always does. Esau was red and hairy and powerful. He was a cunning killer. He lived in the field. Jacob is not contaminated. He lives in the tent and he holds onto his brother's foot. Which hand did he use? Which foot did he grab? And that's interesting to me. That's uh, how I think, uh, if I look back, how I think I finally figured out what this meant. Jacob holds on to Esau's foot or his heel. That's how I started, looking at the heel holder element of it. 
And I knew that that cannot be insignificant. It is what he is named. Until what? He's known as heel holder. Till when? Till his name is changed. To what? Israel. All I got to do. All I got to do now is go to where he is changed to see if there's heel holding going on there. What caused the name to be changed? That's Genesis 32, 22 through 30. Don't have time to read it today because in Genesis 32, 22 through 30, Jacob is also struggling with somebody. Who's he struggling with there? He is grabbing for all he's got. Who? Christ. That is a picture of Jacob holding on to Christ with everything he has. And we will, and he won't let go. By the way, is that a good idea for a, for a plan? And he, and he says to Christ, he says, I won't quit. I'm, and they wrestle for what? How many hours? Doesn't tell you, but you can tell it's many hours. And he won't give up. And Christ says, and he says to Christ, I will not let go until you Bless me until I get my blessing. How interesting. Because all of this is about a blessing. And Jacob is holding on to Christ for another blessing. Two places Jacob the heel holder is holding on, fighting for the blessing. And I'm going to tell you, this is a classic find Christ in Scripture, because the blessing is the same in both passages. The blessing is Christ himself. And Jacob will not let go. Genesis 25 and 32. Next week, we're going to lay those two passages side by side. I'm going to need more boards. Anyway, ask, let's ask some more obvious questions about today's list. This therefore or thus Esau hates his birthright. Oh, I should probably read that to you so that we don't lose it. This is, a, again, I, I, as I'm going back through my old notes, I'm looking at myself and what I was describing, because it was closer to where I am now. Obviously, I'm an old, senile man, more so senile every day, as my children tell me. I have one child that tests me all the time to see if I'm senile. That's the medical professional. I'm now beginning to figure out what his tests are, but they're still cleverly written or, or expressed in such a way uh, that I can't figure them out quickly. Okay. I say to read this, I'm going to, oh, okay, all the way back to verse 25. Uh, Genesis, no, I'm not saying that. That's probably what I wanted. I've made a mistake. Here, and now I've got to figure out what I meant. Okay, here we go. I'll just go 33 through 34. Uh, 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. And that about means imminent death. What is this birthright? What is this blessing to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Therefore are thus Esau despised his birthright. So how is it that by eating soup, bread and beans, drinking something, getting up, going his way, equates to hating his birthright? What in that tells you that he hates his birthright? Why does Jacob think that the blessing can be sold? That's very important, because immediately, if you're thinking about the blessing as the salvation of Christ or Christ himself, which you can't separate, can I sell the blessing? No. Can the blessing be bought? No. So that's kind of odd. And I asked again back in those days, I had a big note. Why does Jacob think the blessing can be sold? Then I wrote this. Does Jacob think the blessing can be sold? I don't think he does. Who thinks the blessing can be sold? Esau does. Is he right? No. Why does Hebrews 12:16 call Esau a 
profane man, a fornicator. How does, how does this, let's go read that really fast. How does this fit in here? By the way, who do I think wrote Hebrews? I think Paul did. As you know, it ends correctly. So let me read this. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up to cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That's pretty hard stuff. Is he talking about Esau, the person, Esau, the nation, or Esau representing? Who is Esau? Representative of who? Himself? A group? His own nation? So the question becomes, who is Esau? A very complex figure in the Bible. And in order to understand what Paul is saying. Does Paul know what he's saying? Yes. He's writing to who? What's the book called? Hebrews. He's writing to Jews. Do they know what he's saying? Yes. Everybody knows, but probably us. And again, let me repeat, it's pretty obvious to me that these are saved Jews who are wanting to return to, to Jerusalem, and Paul is trying to save them from that, it's because they're, they're, their salvation is not at stake, their physical lives are at stake. That's important to understand the book of Hebrews. But again, who is Esau? Let's go over it. He's a man that does not dwell in the tent. He is where? He is out into the field. He is out into the world, isn't he? And he is about to die. And he considers the blessing from the Father to be of no value to him. Something that he can sell. So, ask the obvious question then immediately. Where else in Scripture? First thing we do is we go run around Scripture and we find somebody who is about to die that has access to the blessing, which is Christ or salvation, both. It's the same. Can't separate them. I have salvation and I have Christ. And somebody rejects it as he is about to die. Who else in the Bible rejects the blessing, Jesus Christ, his death is near? What's that? Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. The first thief. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us, he says to God. And that is identified as blasphemy. Because you do not say to God, save yourself. That's blasphemy. God does not need to save himself. It's impossible for God to be saved. He is salvation. He gives salvation. That's blaspheming God to his face. The first thief did that as he's about to die. It's crazy town stuff. Why would you do that? The second thief goes, give me the salvation. And Esau is representative in Hebrews 12 as one who sees no value in salvation, no value in Christ as they are about to die. Where else in the Bible is that? We'll find it next week as well. So we should find Christ in this story at Genesis 25:32. Essentially, Esau says, what is Christ's salvation to me? What is Christ himself to me? I am about to die. What is Christ to you as you are about to die? It is your only hope. It's everything. The answer to that question should scream at you every time you hear Esau say it. What is the blessing to me as I am about to die? It's everything as you are about to die. Remember, he says, Behold! So you know that that is a significant thing that's coming next.
What is Christ to me as I'm about to die? And Jacob says, sell me your salvation? No, he can't be saying that. So what does that mean? Sell me your birth, your blessing. Another quick comment on Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. It's clear that Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 makes the point that a time will come when the offer of the blessing of salvation will not be available. There are, for, and that, by the way, we're in Romans 9, aren't we? That's how we got here. That connects Esau to who? Esau is rejecting the blessing as he thinks he's about to die. By the way, was he about to die? No. And Jacob knew he wasn't about to die. That's how you know that Jacob is not trying to sell him salvation. Because Jacob knows, because Jacob understands, elder serves two nations and stronger. He knows, you're not going to die. Can't happen. So that helps you with that. But that is, by the way, how we connect Esau in Romans 9 to the Pharaoh in Romans 9. Do you understand the two? Do you see that both of them have this really kind of cool relationship in a representative sense? They are both typological of men who reject the salvation of God. And therefore, salvation, of course, is Yeshua or Yeshua. That's Christ himself. They reject Christ. That's what Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, and that's why Romans 9 uh, is explaining that to you. Uh, That explains why Paul is grieving for Israel in Romans 9, 1. And that's why he would invoke uh, Esau and Pharaoh, because both of them have this rejection of Christ. One One does it as he thinks he's about to die. The other one does it as he is about to die, just like the thief on the cross. There's a little difference for Esau in there that you have to pay attention to. And Paul is weeping for Israel. Because why? What have they just done? They have rejected the, they have rejected the Messiahship of Christ, Matthew 12. Now, not these Hebrews, though, but that's why he brings, because these are saved Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, but that's why he connects Esau to Pharaoh. Next week, we'll get to that. If Paul is weeping for Israel, why does, what should I expect out of Rebecca now? Because they're both in the same position, if you want to think of it that way. Rebecca weeps for Esau. She grieves for Esau, yeah, Genesis 26 through 35. And now you know Rebecca's motive. It's thus revealed. She is grieving, mourning, weeping for her son Esau. That's her motive. Does that make sense? Is the motive, let me put it this way, is the motive of a woman who is weeping for her son, grieving for her son, as Paul is grieving for Israel, as Christ grieves for Israel, is a woman who is grieving for her firstborn son, planning to cheat him? No. What's she doing? She's trying everything she can to save him, to get him saved. And again, I believe the evidence of Scripture is that Jacob's motive is the same. He's also grieving for Esau. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an equation over here in a corner. It's hard to write it. I'm going to say you that Paul in 9.1 of Romans equals Rebecca in Genesis and equals Jacob in Genesis. So Paul equals Rebecca equals Jacob. They both have the same thought process. I'll I'll take that on more so next week. Because Rebecca has Esau's garments. Yes, sir. Yes, I think what you're right. They understand that is certainly an element. What he's saying is, is they know that if Esau gets the blessing, that that's not good. But they also know that he can he really stop it? He can't. It's already been told them. The elder will serve the younger. The younger will get the blessing. So what is Esau really doing? Uh, but I think you're going to you're going to see that Esau 
at Jacob and Rebekah. In other words, I'm trying to make it clear that they're not trying to cheat Esau. That's not what's going on. They're trying, and Bill is absolutely right. They're wanting to make sure, I said this last week, that the priesthood of this family unit, if you will, of this, the, this, this group of people, the priesthood, that person is Jacob. And it's important that it be so. And again, I'll take that on next week because Rebecca happens to have Esau's garments. He, he, she has his priest clothes. He has priest clothes. Esau does. Does he want to be a priest? No, but he has the clothes. Where'd they come from? How did Rebecca get them? Okay. Where was I? As a trained professional, I now have to find my spine. Rebecca never forgot two nations, elder serves the younger, one is stronger than the other. Never forgot that. Never forgot what God said that day. She knew one would be strong, one would be weak, as God defines strong and weak. Who's the strong, as God defines it? Jacob, clearly the strong. He proves it. He holds on. The other is weak. He doesn't hold on at all. Fortunately, we don't have to hold on to our salvation. God holds on to us. What becomes inexplicable is Isaac's intention to give the priesthood responsibility. That's what Bill was bringing up. Isaac is going to, what, what is he thinking? He's got to know this. Why does he decide that he is going to give the priesthood designation to Esau? Can he do it? No, he can't do it. What if he tries to do it? What if he did it? And, and, and everybody's watching. I got the family, I got the employees. This is the what is Isaac thinking problem in this thing. And certainly what Isaac is thinking, as soon as she hears it, it panics Rebecca because she knows elder serves the younger, two nations, one stronger than the other. She knows that. She knows this for sure. There's going to be two nations. And she says to Jacob, she says, let let the curse fall on me if you're caught. We're gonna, I'm gonna go get Esau's priest garments. I'm gonna put them on you. We're gonna go in there and we're gonna make sure Isaac conveys a blessing on you that has already been given to him by who? Who gave it to Jacob? God gave it. Jacob's got it. Can he get rid of it? No. Why does he go through this sell me the blessing thing? What, what, there's no reason to do that. He doesn't, he's already got the blessing. It would be like me saying to you, sell me my house. I already have my house. You can't sell it to me. You don't have it. So why? What's his motivation to say, sell me? There's more to this than you first think when you see it. You, everybody that reads this implies that Esau has it. He doesn't have it. And Rebecca and Jacob know it. Okay? And that is how it all fits with Abimelech, that she is my sister. Remember, it's an Abimelech sandwich. Rebecca knew what was at stake. And, and by the way, she says, let the curse fall on me. That's very similar to who? Because she's talking about the nation of Israel, isn't she? Not just the two boys, the whole nation, and as Bill points out, all of salvation. We're here because Rebecca. And listen, it's God's plan. It's He's got authority and control over it. So there wasn't any doubt. But it's very much the same as Moses saying to God, blot me out, God, for the sake of Israel. That's what she's doing. That's why she's honored, just like Moses said. Rebecca knew what this was. She knew what was at stake. That's a human way of uh, putting it. She understood that the prophet and his wife were going to be protected by God. Right now, I have had Abraham as a prophet. Abimelech tries to take Sarah away from him, and God says, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill everybody. I'm not going to allow you to remove Sarah from the one that is the prophet. Because this is the seed of Abraham issue. The next prophet is Jacob. He goes over to Abimelech and says that she is my sister thing. And, and Abimelech, the next Abimelech, the next king, 
They both are called Abimelech because it's the, the dynastic title, as you know. He says, whoa, you're the prophet. I can't touch. Anybody touches this, this woman is going to, I'm going to kill him. I've got to. Abimelech, by the way, turns out to be the best theologian in the whole group. He who touches Isaac shall be put to death. That's what he says. Abimelech. And God says, for, a, for Abraham is the prophet, my prophet, the only prophet at the time, which is the same for Isaac. There's only one at this time. And if you do not restore Sarah, his wife, a barren woman at that time, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. That's what God says in Genesis 20. And Abimelech in Genesis 26 panics when he finds out that this is the next prophet, Isaac. And that's not his sister. Holy mackerel, honey child, get out of here. Don't touch this guy. So who's the next prophet after Isaac? The younger is. Can't change it. The next prophet is not the man of the field, the cunning, killing, hunter, hairy red guy. That's not the next prophet. The next prophet is Jacob, the uncontaminated, complete Jacob who dwells in tents. Jacob knew it. Rebecca knew it. What will God do to protect this? The elder serves the younger. There are two nations contending in you. One is stronger than the other. What is God going to do if you touch Jacob? And Jack said something wonderful. It's right here off of page 12 for me. Jack steals my material before I even say it. So that's how good he's getting. That's fantastic. I wrote this. God has a plan, and because he has a plan... He, he therefore will defend it. See, I always ask, why does God protect his plan of salvation? He's protecting the what? The plan of salvation. The blessing. He will protect the blessing. What did he tell Abimelech he would do to protect the blessing? Told, tell, one Abimelech knew what he would do. The other Abimelech said, this isn't right. I was fooled. God said, I kept you. Away from her. So what? You didn't stay away from her. I kept you away. But you, uh, if you had taken her from Abraham, I would have killed you and everybody here. Because in order to have, if I have a plan of salvation, and he does, the goodness that has a plan of salvation means the goodness to defend the plan of salvation must be there. Does that make sense? If I have the plan of salvation, that's good. But if he does nothing to protect it, then no one is saved. So he will protect it. This is a case of him protecting it. And Rebecca loves both of her sons. She intends for both to be saved. But she knows which one is the next prophet. And she knows which one God has chosen to take these truths, to be the priesthood that takes his truths to the Gentiles. He knows which one, she knows which one will be Israel uh, and which one will be Edom. And by the way, when does this prophecy, one will serve the other, come to pass? Has it happened yet? Have the Edomites served the Israelis yet? When does it happen? Well, that's an important. When does that prophecy come to pass? When exactly in time does Edom serve Israel? Solve that. And you're well on your way. Next week, how many questions did I answer? A lot. How many did I leave for you? A lot. But you can do this. You do not need me. So take a good look at it. See if you can figure out. If you answer that question, when does Edom serve Israel? That helps you a lot. And you'll, you'll go, go places. If you look at Rebecca as understanding what this is really about and that she's not trying to cheat Esau, the opposite is true. She grieves for Esau the way Paul 
grieves for Israel. That's the connection between them. And if you still can't get it, well, then we'll take on the Pharaoh next week and bring him in because he has a lot of Esau type to him, representation, if you will. Uh, will the musician please come forward? <laughs> 